Well, good morning, family. <laughs> Jesus is, there we go. <laughs> Let there be light. Well, I get, there we go. I thought I was the only one in the light. Jesus is, how many would agree with this? He's Savior. He's Savior. We've been taking a look at Jesus and who he is through the book of John. And uh, boy, there's so many designations we could give in this, this, this portion of scripture. We're, we're in possibly the most familiar portion of scripture in the Bible. And, uh, and if you have been a Christian for not very long, you've probably already read John chapter 3 and are pretty familiar with it. So um, bringing something absolutely new from this portion of scripture is um, highly unlikely. You've heard it, but, um, but I'm hoping that you will really hear it this, this morning. And that's going to take work of the Holy Spirit touching each of our lives. So I'm going to ask you if you join with me in prayer and asking God to make something that maybe is very familiar to many of us um, fresh and new. Can we do that? Well, Heavenly Father, as we uh, open up and, uh, and teach um, your word, Lord, we know that, Lord, in the depth of your word, uh, we never fully are able to get it all. It seems like, Lord, there's always something fresh for us. And today, that Lord, I ask that that would be true for every person in this building, whether they've, Lord, this is the... 50th time they've gone through the book of John chapter 3 or, or whether it's the first time something Lord God of your work into their hearts and a revelation of you Lord would come as only you can bring it I pray Father in Jesus name Amen John, Jesus is now at the kind of the, the beginning of his ministry, and he's starting to get known. He's doing miracles, and people are rec recognizing him, and the word is getting out. And the scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus, it, it it designates not just his name, but it designates who he was kind of religiously. It, it says that he was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee in those days were, um, were the, the ex what would be considered the extreme religious group. Th this is a group who um, held very tightly with kind of a... Uh, 
of pride and arrogance about the religious standing. That they, they considered themselves kind of the best of the best. In fact, you weren't really serious about God if you weren't in the camp of the Pharisees. And they, they went, they, they didn't just take the scripture, they expounded the scripture. They, they went beyond the, the scripture, uh, what the Bible had revealed. And they held to the oral tradition that had been passed on from some generation to generation, which eventually became written down, um, and uh, it's called the Mishnah. But it was the, these ordinances of laws that went and took what God said, you know, was part of what you should live out in your life and expounded on it so that you would have no question on how it's supposed to be worked out in your life. Of course, God didn't say that that was the way it was to be. For instance, the Bible simply says you are to, um, you know, you to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was, a, it was a, a day without work. Well, that little phrase, which God said, they expounded into 27 chapters and said, well, that means this. You can only walk so long on the Sabbath. You can only do, you know, you can't do some things on the Sabbath. In fact, that's kind of even been added on to in tradition uh, today, even among um, the Jews in Israel. And I think I've mentioned before, when we go to Israel, if you're on the Sabbath, you have a, you have a Sabbath elevator in your hotel and you have a Gentile or a non-Jewish elevator in the hotel. And if you get on the Sabbath elevator, you're going to stop at every single floor because the buttons don't work. Because if you push a button on the Sabbath, that's work. This is what religion produces, you see. And, And it goes beyond. And, and this man, was not just a Pharisee, which actually means a separated one, and they were separated from everyone, but he was a ruler of the, the, the Jews. So he was part of the inner circle of those who would have been the political rulers of their day and the religious rulers. They were all in one, called the Sanhedrin. And he would be considered one of the 70 who would oversee. In fact, when they took Jesus to trial, one of the groups that Jesus had stood before was the Sanhedrin. They, they, because of Rome ruling, they, there, there were certain things they weren't allowed to do, like they could not condemn a person to death. They could not oppose the death penalty, but they could put, they were pretty much everything else. And, uh, and they had a, a, a leadership. This, this guy was part of them. He would have been looked up to but he also, um, he also was a teacher. And we'll see a little bit later that Jesus called him the teacher. Not just teacher, but the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus would have been a well-known, maybe the, the highest level of um, you know, recognition as being a teacher uh, a, a pharisaical teacher 
in Israel. This is, a, this is somebody who people would recognize right away, Nicodemus. And it's probably why verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus by night. He would have been recognized coming to Jesus, and he didn't want to associate fully with Jesus yet. He didn't know who he fully is and what he's about, and he certainly didn't want to be identified with Jesus or his followers at this point. But he has noticed and he has recognized that Jesus has been doing all kinds of miracles. And because of what Jesus is doing, he's inquisitive about about Jesus, and he's making some assumptions because when Jesus is doing these miracles, the, the, the assumption is this man must be of God because who could do these kinds of miracles? Jesus is healing all kinds of people, setting people free from all kinds of bondage, casting out demonic spirits, and people are just, there's a tremendous um, work that God is doing through Jesus, and now this man comes and he says to him, Rabbi, which is teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So he knows that Jesus doesn't just do miracles, but that he is also a teacher. In fact, he's recognized at, by him as a teacher uh, from God, for no one can do these signs you recognize that the signs that's happening, this, this is something only God can do that you, that you do unless God is with him. So his assumption is God is with Jesus. Now that gets you to a place, but it doesn't get you to the place that God wanted, wants you to go and that you would want to go. It, 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 is not, it does not save your soul to think that Jesus came just from God. There are a lot of religious groups or a lot of people that would say Jesus came from God and that Jesus did miracles. And yet they would not be in the camp that Jesus says are his followers or people who are in fact saved, as we would use that term, saved, or as Jesus will talk about being born again. And so says, Jesus answered him. Now, he, he really, he, he says, you know, he's basically saying, Jesus, I believe you're from God. And Jesus' answer isn't about him being from God. Jesus goes straight into what Nicodemus needs in his life. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, most assuredly, okay, so this, this one's not debatable, as Jesus is putting it. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And there's a mouthful there. In the, he's saying something has to happen. That you, if you're not born again, forget about seeing the kingdom of God. And uh, we've talked about this before. The term kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous Mostly in Matthew, it's kingdom of, of heaven. Not wanting to use the name God in a, a Jewish setting. But the point is simply this. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. And that is something, seeing the king, what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is the rule and reign of God. 
The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. And we could say today, right here, um, the kingdom of God is present. In fact, Jesus would say the kingdom of God is amongst you or, or at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And where is the kingdom? Can you see it? Well, you can with spiritual eyes. You can't with physical eyes. You can't, you can't see the kingdom of God, but you can see the results of the kingdom of God in action. For instance, I can look around this room, and I know some of you very well and know what the kingdom of God has done for you. The transformation that has happened as, you, as you've entered the kingdom of God, that something changed in your life that will, you'll never be the same. And that work of God that happens because you're in the kingdom and you see that kingdom in operation. You see it at work. You see what it does when people enter it, but you see what it does through people who enter it, the kingdom of God. And, and all I can, it, it, it's, it's really pretty hard to even explain. So Jesus doesn't really go into detail of what it means to see the kingdom. He doesn't really tell us all about what that is. We know that there, as we read through the scriptures, we see there's a, lot of, there's a lot of explanation about the kingdom and what the kingdom is not like and what the kingdom is like. But the original seeing the kingdom, I know in my own life when I became born again, I could all of a sudden see things that I never saw before. And they weren't necessarily visual things, but perception, understanding. All of a sudden, I was aware of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And it became very aware, aware that there was a work of darkness that was around me that I was part of that I didn't even, was not even aware that I was part of it. But when I came into the kingdom of God and was, when I became born again, I could see that there is, there is this kingdom. And there's basically, you know, there's not, there's not a thousand different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Everything falls either under the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus says, you can't even get to the point of seeing it until you're born again. And Nicodemus responds as probably pretty naturally. He shouldn't be put down for this. Um, he responds this, how can a man be born when he was old? Because he's only thinking in the, in, in the physical realm. He's not seeing the spiritual. He's not seeing the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he's old? And that's ridiculous, right? He, he, he says what is, you know, kind of natural to say. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's not going to work. Right, ladies? That is not going to happen. And Jesus answered most, most assuredly. Here he goes again. Listen, I'm telling you something that you have to know. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, Jesus adds water and the Spirit. And there's a lot of discussion about what that means. Some will say, well, the water means the water baptism. And, uh, and others would use the scripture that says that we're washed by the, wa- by the washing and regeneration of the word of God. But I would say, let the scripture interpret the scripture in the context first. Before you go everywhere else in the scripture, look at what is being said right in context and you're most likely to get the, the right interpretation. Because it, does, it actually does it right here in the text. Um, because when Jesus says, you must be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He says, that, then he, he adds this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I think he's just letting us know that which is born of the flesh. What happens when one is born of the flesh? Well, oftentimes this, this is what you'll, you'll be, be aware of. A, a, a woman who's pregnant will say, my water broke. And what does that mean? Well, it's time to get ready. The, the, the child's coming. So every child, every human being has been born in water. And I think Jesus is saying that which is, that which is flesh is flesh. And that which is spirit is spirit. That's why he says, you must be born of water and the spirit. You see, both. So there's a, obviously, you have to be born as in, in your human body and flesh. But you also need to be born in the spirit. That's a different kind of birth. He was talking about birth. Nicodemus had it a little off, saying, I can't go back to my mother's room. Jesus says, well, you, you, you have to be born of water, but you also have to be born of the Spirit. Make sense? It's right here in the context. And I think that is a, you know, it, it, it defines itself right there for us. Uh, so then, um, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then he says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't, 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 don't worry, don't get all excited about that. Don't, you don't have to marvel, this is a reality. And, and then he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tear where tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Now, what he's saying here is this, that being born in the Spirit is like wind. Wind will blow and you can't see the wind. But what you can see is the results of the wind blowing, right? I mean, you see the trees waving. If it's a real, you know, if it's really blowing, you see the cars flying, whatever it might be. But at, at, when wind blows, you can't see the wind itself. You see the results of the wind. And when someone is born in the spirit, you can't just look at a person and say, oh, they're born again but you can see the results of them being born again. 
And I would say to you that if you are born again and there are no results, then you really need to check and see if you're in the faith. The scripture says, are you really born again? Because faith in Christ, faith in Christ is enough for salvation. But faith in Christ that is enough always produces action that aligns itself with the kingdom of God. Because then you're, you're in a whole different kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus makes this distinction in such a way that that's why oftentimes you'll hear Christians say, you actually use the term, I'm a born-again Christian. Born, but not, not, not all Christians throughout history have always said that or used that term, but it, it's, it, it fits. It's okay. It's right. Are you a born-again Christian? Now, what makes a person a born-again Christian? Well, when they believe, and we'll look a little bit further here, when they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for their sins, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, then the Spirit of God comes in them and transforms them. Now, the level of transformation, um, you know, is a matter of maturity and growth and, and, uh, and a willingness to surrender to Jesus, all of that. And people grow in this at different levels and different speeds. But if that change has not happened in your life, then you need to put your faith fully in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is why we send everyone to John 3 when we get saved. Because this, this is, this is, a, um, this is a, a portion of Scripture, a text in which Jesus is saying, this is the way it works. You're either born again or you're not. And if you're born again, then things change in you. And to a level that you're aware of it. And you're willing to follow him. Next week, we gather in, our, in one service. We're going to put everybody in here. And I hope every one of you come. It's a time of celebration. We're going to pray for um, both the kids and the teachers that are starting school. And then we're getting out early from for those that come to second service in time that we can go to the beach and hang out. And we're going to have water baptism there for anybody who wants to be baptized in water. And we do that because when a person is truly born again... There's, a, there's something that happens in their life in their identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and their faith in that, that, that because the Spirit of God comes in us and when you're born again, God's Spirit is in you and that's what in fact saves you. It's the Spirit in you that raise, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead will, will, will quicken your mortal body. It's the spirit of God inside of you. And it's the spirit of God that transformed you. That's what it means to be born again. 
the Spirit of God inside of you transforming you. And then if, if that happened, then you're going to want what God wants. You'll, you might have to deal with your flesh. It doesn't go away. But you're going to desire what God wants in your life. And one of the first things Jesus said to do, and we actually, later in this text, we read about this, but he wants you to identify publicly with the kingdom of God, with the people of the kingdom. And the way you do that is water baptism. And so, I would say this, a faith that saves is a faith that changes you. If it isn't enough faith to change you, you didn't have enough faith to be saved. And I, I, don't, I, I can't judge that, but you are to look at your own life and see if you really have placed your faith fully in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Or are you kind of just operating in a religious world? Look, it, when it came to religious people, there's nobody that did it better than probably Nicodemus. I mean, he's right at the top. People, he didn't get to that position because the religious leaders thought he was a slacker. He got to that position because the religious leaders saw that this was a man who was serious about his faith. The problem was it wasn't in the, the, the Messiah. It was in a bunch of religious do's and don'ts. And so now he's coming to Messiah. He's coming to Jesus, the one he should have been looking toward. And Jesus is instructing him. What you've been doing, as Paul the Apostle wrote about his life, it's worthless. You put all this energy in all this, but let me tell you, it's, it's worthless. You must be born again to enter the kingdom. And so, he says, verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? He had not heard about these things. And that's when Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? That must have hurt. You don't know these things? And Jesus answered him and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Who's the we? You would think Jesus would say, I speak what I know, but he doesn't. He says, we speak what we know. Some say that he's talking about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think he's also including in that group those who have already become followers. This is what we preach. This is what we teach. This is what we share. You must be born again. I was thinking this week about the church. Not our church. I was thinking our. I always think about our church, but I was thinking about the church, the church in America. Where is it headed? 
Where's it going? What's going on in the church? And, and we've, seen, we've seen God do amazing things, but then we see also um, a lot of people, especially through the COVID process and different things, they've just kind of disappeared. What happened? And this is worldwide a work. What has happened? Is it possible that the church has a lot of people who claim to be Christian but are not born again? Is that possible? That the name of being a Christian, you know, it just kind of fits in. It's kind of a cultural thing. You know, I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Well, that doesn't fit anymore. People don't see it that way anymore. It's, there's... There's a transformation that's happening in the, in the way that our country, people view the church. And, and if you're not born again, I, the, the, what is in fact to keep you and to strengthen you and to cause you to truly walk the walk of being a Christian? And I would say nothing. Nothing, it, unless it's some kind of religious thing that isn't really have its foundation in relationship with God. And I think God's purifying the church. I do. I think, I think we are seeing people who are not born again, who are being filtered in this because he's coming for a purified church. The Bible says he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. And you can only get without spot or wrinkle if you're born again. Fully forgiven. Because you fully put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and folks, um, it's only the born again Christians who are going to get through whatever kind of trials and challenges that we face as walking with follow Jesus Christ, you have to be born again. <clears throat> and so, as he says in verse 12, if, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He says, there's so much more. But you, you, you've got to get past kind of the earthly things that you, you know, you, you know. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. So Jesus is speaking from heaven. He's interacting with heaven. And it says, as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, he's take, going to an Old Testament reference. And Nicodemus would have known this. He, he would have read the Old Testament, right? He, he knows it well. He t he's a teacher. And he's taken to a place, uh, actually, the portion of Scripture in the book of Numbers. And the children of Israel had rebelled against God. They had been, actually, they were accusing God of being, you know, um, more than uncaring, being abusive to them. 
He was a, they were accusing him, and God was taking care of them. And God pulled his protection from the children of Israel. He pulled his protection. And there were some snakes, just happened to be some snakes, that in, entered into the camp. Obviously, not just happened. And they'd enter to the camp, and they were biting people. They'd be in their, you know, tent sleeping or whatever, and a snake would come in, bite them. And then they were poisonous. And people started to die. And they didn't know what to do. And uh, they call out, and they cry out to Moses. And, and Moses goes to God and says, please stop this, you know, stop the, the, the snakes. And God gives a solution. Now, God could have destroyed the snakes, but he doesn't. He gives them a solution. The reason he gives them a solution is because God is always communicating the truth throughout history so that when Jesus would arrive, we would know who he was. And so... The, the solution was to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever looked upon it, they'd be healed. If they, got, if they got bit, they would look upon the bronze serpent, and they would be healed. Now, that's, the, that's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about himself, and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And what did they have to do to be healed? Look. Pretty simple. A simple solution. Look. Why was ser the serpent on the stick? Why? Because who was biting them? It was the serpent. What does the serpent represent? You know, who, 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 who invaded the serpent to deceive Adam and Eve? Satan. The kingdom of darkness. Because when we're in sin, the sat the, Satan's kingdom is always coming to bite you, to kill you. And sin produces death, and Satan is after you. He's, he comes to, he, he's the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the answer to that destruction that he can bring is to look what was on the cross. That post represents the cross where Jesus died, and what did he do? He smashed, he crushed the head of the serpent. He fulfilled the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And that's what was happening on the cross. And Jesus says, as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's given him insight, Nicodemus, in the insight, and for us, into what Jesus was about to do. And it says that whoever believes, everybody say whoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So who is available for eternal life? Whoever. 
whoever. If you're whoever, you can have eternal life. It's for you. Any whoever's here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? I think you're a whoever. I think you're a whoever. You qualify. You qualify for eternal life because you're a whoever. But not just whoever. It's whoever believes in him. For God so loved the world. You want to say this with me? You want to read this with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've read that. You've seen it in football games. <laughs> You've read this. You know, you know this. Many of you, this was maybe your first scripture that you ever memorized. Uh, it's still as p powerful now to me as it was 47 years ago. God so loved the world that he gave. What a great God. For God, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why didn't he come to condemn the world? Well, because the next verse tells us, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemnation has already entered the world. Man's sin has entered into the world. Our rejection of God has entered into the world. Our rebellion against God has entered into the world. Sin has permeated the world. This world is in full form, force rebellion against God. This, this world wants very little to do with him. If it isn't the preaching of the gospel from a believer to a non-believer, the non-believer is very unlikely to ever discover a savior. Yesterday, talking with the men, we, we talked about reawakening the dream in us. We talked about reawakening the call and how oftentimes in people's lives, they'll get a passion for something. And, and that passion will um, usually sometimes be birthed out of um, the, uh, a hurt or a pain in either their life or somebody else's life. Usually as they see a pain in someone else's life or an injustice, it stirs something, a compassion, a desire, maybe to do something about that. And, uh, and then if that, if that passion or desire is sustainable, if it, if it continues on, it oftentimes then turns into ministry of some sort 
where someone will take that on and say, I'm going to make a difference. And it might, you know, when we say ministry, it doesn't need to be formal. A lot of times it's just, you know, it's an informal. It's you take on a ministry to touch people who are going through or struggling through whatever it is that you're passionate for to help them. And, it, you know, and it, you'll end up finding people like that. It might start that way. Sometimes it gets really large and big, and there's ministries that are, you know, that, that are worldwide focused in on a specific passion that somebody had, and it grew in them. But often, and we use the story of, of Moses that had the passion to free his people, but then because of the way he operated, instead of really being led by the Lord in it, he ended up spending 40 years, even though he had this passion to let his people go, it wouldn't be awakened until 40 years later. He had put it aside to be a shepherd. And in you and me, sometimes that happens. For all of us, if you've been born again, one of the passions that should never die in us is, in fact, that there are others who were like us, who are like what we used to be, away from God. And if you have a vital relationship with God, you for sure want to make sure somebody else gets it. You want to help them find that. And maybe you've not been successful at it, and you've suppressed, you've suppressed the compassion. Because you can do that. You can, you, you know, I, I've tried leading people, Lord. I'm not good at it. It doesn't happen very well. And, you know, I'm just, you know, if, if God brings somebody, okay, maybe, you know, and they come to my front door and says, can I be saved? Then I'll do something. <laughs> but we suppress that. And we suppress other things. And Jesus re-encounter, I mean, sorry, Moses' encounter with God transformed him. It awakened that passion that he had to free the people, awakened it in him. And I would say God wants to awaken some of that in some of us. He, he, wants, he wants us to wake up saying, Lord, use me today. And not just kind of like, if somebody comes to my door, I'll do something. But give me a creative way of reaching my world and making a difference. Now, Dick Nicodemus, um, you kind of want to wonder, whatever happened to him? He doesn't show up in any place in Scripture other than in John 3. I mean, the uh, Gospel of John. He's mentioned a couple times. But here, the, the last time his name is mentioned, it's when Jesus had died. And him and Joseph of Arimathea petitioned for Jesus' body. They took his body from the cross and they prepared his body for burial. Which, by the way, was the job of the women 
that the men really didn't do that, but that didn't stop Nicodemus and Joseph from entering into that. Why? They cared for Jesus. I, I think we'll probably see Nicodemus in heaven. I think he got there. He risked a lot doing that. First time he came by night. Second time when he came for the body of Jesus, it was in full open. When the disciples, many of them had ran for their life, he stood up and says, I want to take the body of Jesus and I want to take care of my Savior. Because no matter where you are, if you put your faith in Jesus, he'll change your life. He'll change your life. And so I just want to say to any of you, if you say, you know, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can tell you, when I first came to Jesus, I did have an experience but doubt entered into my mind. In fact, I think I got saved about five or six times in the first several weeks. And you, you know you don't need to get saved five or six times. One is good. But it wasn't that I understood everything. But I knew I wanted to make sure. And maybe you're in that place. And maybe you have, you know, you believe you're a believer, but you're not sure. And look, the Bible says for us to check and see, test and see that we're in the faith. And so I would just say that it, is, it certainly doesn't hurt you to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come in. I believe you're my savior. I put my trust in what you did for me, your death and burial and resurrection. And I ask that you'd place your spirit in me. The scripture says he'll not turn anyone away. Anyone. So it's not a matter of you going, I want this and will you accept me? That's not the problem. He will accept you. It's just simply, are you sincere in wanting Christ in your life? And if you do, are, I can guarantee you, he will not forget that prayer. And he will, in fact, as you surrender to him. So I'm going to pray a prayer, invite you to follow along and, uh, and put your faith in Christ, okay? And I'm going to ask, could we all just join in? By the way, there's a lot of talk about, you know, saying the sinner's prayer is not, you know, that's not how you get there, and I would agree. Sinner's prayer doesn't save you. But what's in the sinner's prayer is, in fact, the confession that does save you, if you truly believe it. Okay? So let's pray this. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, was buried, and conquered death. And Jesus, 
I receive you as my Savior. I ask you, Jesus, to make me new, to come into my spirit, make me born again, cleanse my heart. I choose you as my Savior and my Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, for eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Did you mean that? Uh, you meant that? I, uh, I do want to say, for those of you who say, you know what, I really want to grow in the Lord. Would you let us know either that you accepted Christ or you rededicated your life to the Lord or you just want more? Go to our website, you know, and, and let us know. Type it in or you can do a connection card and put it in the box. But let us know. We really want to help you grow in, in the Lord in this way. Okay? Will you do that? Can we uh, close by lifting our voices to the Lord and worship the King of Kings, the one who saved our soul? Let's do that.
you have a girl. 